Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Celebrity has always been divisive. The historian Daniel Borstein was complaining that a celebrity was just, quote, a person who was well-known for his well-knownness way back in 1962. But there's no denying that the internet generally and YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok specifically have changed the nature of fame, especially for younger generations. Take San Bruno native Emma Chamberlain, one of the world's most popular YouTubers. She's a superstar-level video maker and influencer, whether or not people over 25 understand what it is she makes and posts. So today, we're going to talk with people who make content for these platforms and those who cover them. What is celebrity in our era? That's all coming up after this news. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. In 2017, a teenage Emma Chamberlain posted a vlog, it's a video blog, of course, about going to Target. Like, really, that's the concept for the video. She goes to Target. Let's listen to a snippet. In today's vlog, we are going to Target. Target is one of those places, you know, it's like, you go with a list, I have a list, but you end up picking up I don't know, $400 worth of stuff that you didn't really need. And that's the beauty of Target. It's quite a journey every time you go. I mean, I think. And um, today we're starting out this vlog in the car because where else would we be in a vlog with me? Because I love driving. I'm still on that driving hype. It's time to go to Target. I have to pull out of my driveway, which is kind of complicated, but uh, I'm pretty pumped about it. Okay, I'm going crooked. That is bad. That's really bad. Oh my God, I'm still going crooked. I don't know how to, I don't know how to drive. Okay. Just kidding, I do, I think. Okay. It's 7.15 p.m. right now, p.m. at night. And honestly, I was having a super lazy day. Didn't even go to the gym. I was just like, I can't do anything today. I was just not really feeling today, if you will. When in doubt, go to freaking Target. And my mom had this really long list and I was like, you know what, girl? I got you. You give me the list? and I'll get everything on it plus more. So that's what I'm gonna do. Let's go to Target. It's gonna be a journey, it's gonna be an adventure, it's gonna be a great time. Target, let's go. Target 2017, Target every day. It's every day, bro. Emma Chamberlain, let's go. Funny, relatable videos like this really made her into a star. We're talking 16 million followers on Instagram, 11 million YouTube subscribers. Five years later, and she's posting videos from her summer trips to Europe and red carpets, including covering the Met Gala for Vogue last year when she interviewed Bad Bunny, who's arguably the world's biggest music star right now. Tell me about this stuff in the hair that you got. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Some piecitas de oro. Amazing. Yeah. I love it. Is this your first Met Gala? Sí, yo creo que sí. No, yes, yes. I was like, first. oh no. I didn't <laughs> no. study for it. No, 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 it is, it is. It's my first first. It's your first? Are you yeah. nervous? Are you excited? A little nervous, but excited. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's going to be fun, right? It's just walking on a red carpet. 
That's a great. I wish more people looked at it like that. I actually think I'm like not alive. Like I, I thought I, I blacked no, out on the. It's, it's easy. It's, it's chill. Yeah, it's chill. It's chill. Yeah. I heard that you're joining the Marvel Universe. Oh wow! Yeah, that, I heard too. You heard too. <laughs> she has come a long way from San Bruno, you know, and she also makes a perfect case study of Gen Z celebrity. Sometimes we call people like her influencers. They often call themselves creators. But when whatever they are doing works, they become bona fide famous people. And the question we're turning over this hour is what that means. Joining us to kick off our conversation this morning are Moises Mendes II, a culture reporter at Time Magazine. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, I'm here. (laughs) Good, good. And Steffi Cow, a social news reporter at BuzzFeed. Welcome, Steffi. So happy to be here. So, Steffi, you know, you said that you feel as if you grew up with Emma Chamberlain. Can you describe what you mean by that? Um, Yeah, I think it's interesting to be someone who identifies as Gen Z and also to work in the field that I do and, you know, watch these influencers. We, We watch the birth of the influencer economy with individuals like Emma Chamberlain, um, especially someone who grew up with YouTube and YouTube is something that's always been around. Uh, Watching Emma Chamberlain has been a influencer in a sense where you feel like you grew up together. You also go to Target with her, you um, drive in the car with her. And so in some ways, I feel like she's been like a comfort source to a lot of people who uh, identify with her blogs. Yeah. I mean, what would you say is like her core talent as like a, as a person? I think what people who might not understand about influencers is that I think the core talent is um, being able to be a persona. And I think that uh, when you don't grow up with celebrities that aren't specifically known for a certain skill set, it's easy to look at influencers and say, oh, well, what is their talent? What do they do? When in reality, what Emma Chamberlain has been able to do is create videos and create a structure that not only fulfills this idea of entertaining content, but also is able to relate in relate to her audience in a way that's not from a higher perch and not from a sense of a red carpet or a great um stronghold of uh an elite society but someone who is very much like like us like our audience but like do you believe that i guess is one question just given like anyone can make a video that has like lower production value right so like what is it that makes people (laughs) believe that like just because a video is shot with bad lighting like okay yeah no this is like an authentic like or or do you think that is just like to me that feels kind of like her gift like that she's able to have, you know, 11 million people subscribe to her YouTube channel and yet she still acts like she did when she had almost nobody. I think I think it's a lot harder to make a YouTube video. Listen, I've tried. I've tried. <laughs> and that's that's the gift of growing up when as Gen Z, you know, being a social media star and being an influencer is something you can desire too. And it's hard. It's really hard, especially long form content that does require some level of storytelling and pacing. Um, even if it's just a vlog. <laughs> yeah. Moises, what do you think about you know people like Emma Chamberlain who kind of became famous as as personas, like not even with a, a like a theme to their work, but more just sort of vibing on a, on YouTube. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of vibes on YouTube. Um, some would say too much, but I think that like 
I definitely grew up with influencers as well. I remember in like the early 2010s, there was like um, the UK influencers like Zoe Sugg and, you know, Alfie and all those people, but like the UK, the US ones as well, like Tyler Oakley, um, Ingrid Nielsen, Hannah Hart, all those people. And like Steffi said, it's not an easy thing to do. And I think that people, you know, sort of forget how much work goes into this. And then outside of that, them trying to break into the mainstream media as well is not easy. Um, and yeah, I think it, it's definitely interesting, um, but I feel like it's gotten harder these days, especially yeah. with like democratization of TikTok as well. When there's an influencer you like, are you rooting for them to get like a brand deal with like Adidas or like Louis Vuitton or something? Or are you like, no, I actually want this person to to like stay pure or whatever that might mean? See, that's an interesting question because some people see them getting these brand deals as selling out. But I think what the influencers are looking for is making money because making money off the platform is not a viable option. So they have to, you know, diversify their their incomes in different ways. For me personally, I if I love an influencer and I love a content creator, I'm just excited for them to make money in any sort of way. Like, get your bag go nuts, <laughs> however that may be. But I think what I don't want to see for them, it feels like if it's in, inauthentic to them and it's not a part of their brand, which I think, you know, someone who I follow really closely is Brittany Broski, who made the video about kombucha. She went viral for that, for her faces that she made. Um, she's talked about how like she doesn't take brand deals that don't fit her brand or she's not excited about. And I'm like, that's the way that these influencers should be thinking about this, because if you love something, you're going to do it well. So we uh, have another cut of Emma Chamberlain, who, by the way, of course, we invited her on the show. Of course, she said no, because she's like much more famous than, than any radio station in America. So uh, here she is talking about what it means to be a social media influencer on an episode of her podcast, Anything Goes. This is from me. Even though I'm kind of a part of all of this, in a sense, I don't care. Like, listen, I'm so grateful to be a part of this absolutely bizarre revolution that we're going through right now of, like, internet celebrity. It's, like, a new thing. Like, I'm beyond happy and honored to be a part of it. But also, I'm not emotionally attached to it. However it evolves, I couldn't care less. I, I'm, I'm here for the ride. If at a certain point, people who became famous on the internet end up, completely all falling off and everybody stops caring and it, it just loses its credibility and it just becomes nothing and it disappears into the abyss at a certain point. So be it. If it becomes that everybody becomes an internet celebrity at a certain point to a certain level, so be it. I, I don't care. But I'm just fascinated by how it's evolving. Mm. You know, Steffi, you covered this. Do you which way do you see the this era of social media? Because now we're on era twelve or something of social media, according to the official book of social media. Um, so, how do you see things evolving within this space that you cover? I think that's such an interesting question because the internet is something that many are still wrapping their heads around in terms of what the influencer economy really is. And so I think we're in a stage where, especially with short form video becoming such um, a platform that's really here to stay. I think it, 
it the question is now like like what does this full picture of the influencer economy look like and i think mm-hmm. with things like be real with things like tiktokers and uh influencers uh that that really are coming from anywhere there's such a lo- there's a lower barrier to entry mm-hmm. this economy is starting to fill out in like a lot of different ways and um what i really loved was this um Taylor Lorenz actually did this really great piece of reporting where she talked about the splintering. Washington between... Post reporter Taylor Lorenz. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the splintering between social, what is social, this uh, interaction, be real, close friends, Twitter circles, and what is media consumption, YouTube, Instagram feed, um, things that are curated for our entertainment purposes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's really interesting. And I think I, actually in that, in that podcast episode, I think Emma can be quite self-critical about uh, her sort of like being at the right place at the right time. But I think it's she's actually like one of the first most identifiable influencers where we've been able to see her really legitimize the entirety of the influencer economy. And I think that takes an incredible amount of like uh, finger on the pulse and, and self-awareness and intelligence that I don't think, um, you know, is, is mentioned in her podcast. But of course, I think it'd be maybe it's just like like cringe to say that about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it would be cringe to say that about yourself. Uh, we are talking about how Gen Z has redefined what it means to be a celebrity with Steffi Cow, social news reporter at BuzzFeed, and Moises Mendes the second, a cultural reporter at Time Magazine. We do want to hear from you. I mean, what do you think celebrity means in this age of viral stardom? You can give us a call. The number's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Six seven eight six Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum, and email, which still exists, is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about how Gen Z has redefined what it means to be a celebrity. Of course, a long contested subject, whether celebrity was good or bad, but there's still uh, ever new kinds to hate or like. Uh, we're joined by Steffi Cow, social news reporter at BuzzFeed, and Moises Mendes II, a culture reporter at Time Magazine. Would love to hear from you. You know, what do you think celebrity means in this age of viral stardom? And I'm also interested in people who have discovered an influencer. It turns out they like. I mean, I know a lot of our audience is probably thinking, "I hate this stuff," you know. But I'm very curious if you thought you were like that, and then you found someone who you felt like spoke to you. Uh, the number is eight six six seven three three. 
6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagrams, KQED Forum, and email forum at kqed.org. Want to bring in a couple other guests. Uh, we've got Gracie Hernandez, a mental health and wellness advocate, as well as social media personality. One might even call her a creator. Uh, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. Uh, and we're also joined by Madison Samurgen, uh, founder of Mata, an app for styling and buying clothing. Welcome, Madison. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So we've got some Pew research. You can see that Gen Z doesn't spend as much time where their parents and uncles hang out. It's not surprising. So basically all teens use YouTube and then 60% plus teens use Snapchat, Instagram, and of course, TikTok. So I want to talk a little bit about this new landscape from your uh, both of your perspectives. So, Gracie, let's start with you. Give me a day in your life of content making. Like, what are you actually doing with your phone, and how do you kind of apportion your effort to these different platforms? Sure. So my content is a bit different because I focus a lot on, like, my personal reflections, mental health, and really just finding a way to... Um, connect with community that I've built both on Instagram and TikTok. Mm -hmm. So when I think about making content, it's usually a story I want to tell or just being really honest and raw. Um, at first, I start by journaling in the mornings and seeing like, is there anything that I want to share from here? Any learnings I've had? Um, and then from there, I go from those reflections into um, anything that I feel like I can add to a conversation that I already see online. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting um that one of the content categories is sort of being being raw, being real there. I feel like for me, when I'm feeling raw, when I'm feeling tender, like kind of the last thing I want to do is make a video. Do you feel like, is that something that it just comes naturally to you? Is that something that you learned how to do? Well, I noticed that um, like one of my tendencies was isolating. So when I was feeling really low and in those like moments of vulnerability, um, I would just shut down and shut out the world from around me. Mm -hmm. um, but one day I think I decided to kind of share a glimpse of what it was like because from the outside, um, I had been graduating, I had like different, received different awards, um, but I wanted to show like, this is just like, there's still a lot that goes on internally and people just don't show it online. So if I really wished to see that change on social media, I knew that I had to start with a step that I could create. Hmm. Hmm. So where have you found it easier to find your people, like your audience, like people who don't just watch like a video, but subscribe TikTok, Instagram, and how is it different, like working on those platforms? Yeah, well, on TikTok, you have more shares. Um, people usually sharing with their friends, which starts that conversation. And it's so beautiful. Sometimes I see people like inviting their friends or telling them like, oh, I've been struggling with this too. And then they're opening up in my comments. Um, but on Instagram, it's more of a, um, they're DMing me personally instead of commenting um, on a video. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Steffi, one thought I've had about TikTok is that you know, a lot of the other platforms had kind of grown these big networks of established influencers, you know, like your your Emma Chamberlain has been around for years and TikTok seemed to kind of like reset the playing field so that a new generation could kind of rise up. Is that an accurate perception? I think I think that that, that probably is in some ways. You know, what? I've never actually thought about that like that, but that's really smart. Um, I think that the short form is is a completely different 
area of content creation where there's such a low barrier to entry. And so these collectives offer more power. And I think that even with long form, you've already seen that with Emma Chamberlain collabing with the Dolan twins and James Charles in the, in the sister squad, as it was known. Um, so I think short form is a different format, sure, but it's definitely, it's, it's a different ball game, but I think the, the rules are generally the same. Yeah. You know, uh, Gracie, I wanted to ask you about how you think about the aesthetic of your posts and you know how you use your own likeness within them. I mean, I've seen friends complain, you know, it, mostly on Instagram because I'm old like that. Uh, I've seen friends complain that you know if they don't post pictures of themselves or their faces or you know looking a particular way, conforming to certain ideals of beauty and hotness, that their posts are less likely to be seen. So, like, how do you, particularly given that you're kind of working in mental health and you're doing trying to do this kind of advocacy, how do you think about using your yourself I guess in these posts right so I think this touches on something really important which is when we start either using or creating on social media it starts being um we perceive ourselves or I remember I started perceiving myself as how other people could perceive myself but that was just Mm -hmm. an assumption right Um, And I think it's a very intentional choice to understand, like, what do I value the most? And what do I want to, um, how do I want to identify on here? Because I've always talked about this, like, if you're becoming a creator, it's a sense of identity and understanding of who you want to be and who you want to share. is so important. If not, you're going to be molded into what is trending or what, you know, face filters are having on like any platform, um, which is yeah, that, I think that also connects to um, sometimes th- there was an article a while ago about how those face filters were encouraging people to even get surgery on their face. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is definitely an intentional choice to understand how I want to um, express myself and celebrate those parts of myself. Yeah. You know, Madison, I wanted to turn to you. You know, you've built a business that targets Gen Z. Um, from your perspective, I, I want to talk a little bit about this platform landscape. Like when you were talking to our producer, Blanca, you mentioned that a lot of young people are using TikTok as their search engine, more or less, like kind of their default place to go for information. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So what we're really seeing is that TikTok, especially for Gen Z, is where we're consuming all of our information. So for better or for worse, we're getting our news from TikTok, we're getting our fashion trends, what restaurant reservations to make. Um, And so now you really see this, you know, this wave of creators and businesses starting to look at TikTok as like, okay, SEO, like when people are searching for Mm. things, how can our videos pop up? So it's this really, really interesting, like, switch and how Gen Z is consuming and getting their information. Uh, For those who aren't familiar, SEO means search engine optimization, traditionally associated with like how you'd get Google to index you highly. Uh, And honestly, um, when you said that, it occurred to me like, wow, nothing has ever made me feel so old. That makes so much sense. And also it's completely outside of my own behavioral patterns. Um, Could you talk a little bit about the different kinds of influencers that you've either worked with or, or tried to work with and kind of how you see what they do in their popularity. Yeah. So we have worked with influencers like 
in a range of like followers and popularity and all of that. So we've done some of like the bigger traditional influencers that probably have close to a million followers. So some of them have been on The Bachelorette. Um, some of them are just like really big fashion influencers, but we really have the most, and like those were successful for us, yes, but they were also hit or miss. Where we really see the most success like using creators is when they're micro influencers because it's more of like a peer to peer relationship. So what we're starting to see at least like in the fashion industry is engagement is so much more important than followers and I'd rather have like someone that has a bunch of sorority sisters that you know view every post and comment every post and want to wear exactly what they're wearing and are highly engaged really promoting our content than someone that's going to put it out there and then it's not going to get much engagement if that makes sense mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. really we've seen even these girls on like TikTok or Instagram with like 2,500 followers they can be game changer for you know a small brand because like their videos can go viral too and so really like it, we're starting to see it doesn't really matter as much the following anymore I think we're still at the beginning of that transformation but that's what we're starting to see I mean I'm curious like you've you yourself are in this demographic you're you're seeing the innards of how this you know what, what Steffi was calling the influencer economy work like you're seeing its mechanics and how <laughs> how that influence is purchased and and how it's wielded does it change the way that you approach what you post and how you post um on like our brand's page or on like in a personal way um let's do both <laughs> um, well I, I think that like having a founder or like a creative director in a fashion company that has a digital presence is really important. Like, so my dad's in real estate and when he sees me making TikToks, he's like, why do you need to do this? Like, you're the founder of the company. You don't need to be on here. And I'm like, no dad, it's so like integral for like followers <laughs> to be able, yeah, to like connect with the founder and connect with the story. And so like when, you know, we have, when I have a TikTok on my personal page that does well, we see like a 300% increase in my apps downloads, which is crazy that like one little TikTok TikTok can do that. And like, even if you look at some traditional fashion brands, like J. Crew, for example, they just brought in a new women's wear designer. And she's like changing the game for J. Crew because she posts these little outfit selfies every day. And she's like the epitome of cool in the fashion world. And now everyone's going to buy these really cool new J. Crew products. And so, really, like, she's putting all this life into a brand just from like an Instagram selfie. It's crazy. It's just interesting. I mean, I remember the Gucci guy was like that too. I mean, do you feel pressure though as CEO of the company right you're like you've got technical things to deal with you've got to hire you've got HR isn't I, I mean it's just interesting to me that that would that that posting would become a core component of what it is to be a CEO for a company that's targeting Gen Z yeah, I mean, like, obviously, we do have our social media and marketing team. But last week, they were there's this trend on TikTok right now about corn, this little kid talking about corn. And like, this guy made a song to it. And my team came to me and they were like, you have to make this video about corn. And I was like, I'm not going on there and making a corn video. Like, I have to go to an investor meeting. So it's this. But what we are seeing is like on TikTok, it's a really great way to like, as a brand, kind of let your hair down and have some fun and have some personality. And even very like, kind of like stoic buttoned up brands that don't have much life like like personality to them I'd say are starting to do that on TikTok too we're like we're viewing Instagram as our business card here's our pretty aesthetic who we are as a brand and then on TikTok like we're gonna have some fun and that's how people really like relate to a brand yeah 
We're talking about how Gen Z has redefined what it means to be a celebrity. We're talking about the influencer economy, just kind of learning uh, how Gen Z is using these tools, uh, both personally and in professional contexts. Uh, we are joined by Madison Submergen, uh, founder of Mata, an app for styling and buying clothing. Gracie Hernandez, a mental health and wellness advocate, a social media personality. Steph Cow, who's a social news reporter for BuzzFeed. And Moises Mendez, the second cultural reporter at Time Magazine. You know, Moises, you know, we got a, a caller called in and was kind of angry about the uh, about the idea of influencers, uh, thinking it's kind of like vain and, and shallow at a time when our world is in a very difficult uh, place. How have you? How do you think about that? I sh- I'm sure covering this sort of thing for big mainstream magazines, you you've heard this before. So, like, how do you respond to people hating influencers? Yeah, yeah, kind of like ha- hating on the the whole idea of it, the whole kind of complex of it. I think the ones that they're seeing are like you know the most popular and the most you know successful of them, and I guess maybe it could be a little bit of jealousy, but it could be you know just the inauthenticity that these people are putting forward um and i think that's one thing that influencers and content creators themselves thrive off of is the authenticity and the really the relatability to their audience um and that you know goes back to what madison was saying about you know just the companies putting forth this like you know you know um what's the word I'm looking for like just more easygoing persona forward so that they can you know relate to audiences and you know it's a lot more approachable so I think when they're at this point in their careers when it comes to being an influencer where it's just like you know they see them as people who just make these silly little videos that they just make and then they just upload Mm -hmm. you know it could be jealousy but it could be you know um just not seeing them as people who are working hard because it does seem like it's it's an easy job but when you talk to a creator and you you know hear what their day looks like and what they have to do and who they have to collab with and who they have to take meetings with it's it's very busy and it's i think this sounds like one of the all-time worst jobs (laughs) i have to say i mean i'm like when I do that, no, thank yeah. you. Almost every creator I've ever met, known, run into. I mean, it is hard to be on the digital content hamster wheel and to be doing it in in video is, is even harder than for a lot of people I know who are doing it in other other forms. Um, you know, Lisa, a listener Lisa writes in to say, you know, this topic makes me think about the daughter of a friend who started streaming on Twitch. It's a live streaming service based in San Francisco, for those who don't know, while a student at Cal Poly. It started as a fun thing and has turned into an incredible force for good. She's raised millions of dollars just by streaming her passion for rescuing, rehabilitating, and using wild animals to educate the public. Enough money to build and run an animal sanctuary and educational facility in Texas. It made me realize that not all influencers are narcissistic celebrity hounds hoping to get, quote, discovered, that social media can be used by young people to do good stuff as well. Um, Steffi, let me ask you this, though. That's a great story. How I, I also follow a lot of people in the Bay Area who would like to be more famous and post like influencers, whether or not they have a lot of followers. How many people use these platforms for something other than sort of celebrity launch or or attempts at at gaining celebrity? 
I think it's all hand in hand, right? Well, first of all, I, we all know someone who posts like they have a ton of followers when they don't. <laughs> um, but I think reporting in this field, I think it's so fascinating because it's easy. I like what Moises was saying about, you know, being confronted with the question of, um, like hating influencers and how do we approach that as reporters because we're very aware that this is something that many people don't understand don't and one don't take seriously but if we're going to acknowledge that someone is able to do something very good with it as someone has been able to spread good information and and spread knowledge about something has been able to build an animal sanctuary um it's i think it goes hand in hand and that we're also seeing people you know for lack of better term clout chasing and seeking attention and visibility these things aren't new but we and bad people have always existed these things have always existed but we need to take it seriously as something that is able to generate a lot of money in a lot of ways and so in that i think uh it can be silly but and it can be silly that people you know seek this attention but this is culture now this is how we how how our society is shaped in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and so i think yeah i think that's the the biggest takeaway i see in my work i do i do love that some of our listeners are writing in who expected to hate all these things but but don't uh one listener tweets omg i hate this stuff being gen x i hate most things haha -ha. <laughs> that's such a good gen x joke uh but tabitha brown is the queen of influence vegan kind, compassionate, hilarious, sharp, hip, and unapologetically black. Love her and her family to pieces. Wendy writes in to say, you know, Emma Chamberlain included her dad, Michael, in some videos. He's a great Bay Area artist that I really admire. He has scenes of San Francisco that capture what this area means to me. He seems to be such a great supporter and a buddy for her. We're talking about how Gen Z has redefined what it means to be a celebrity, and we want to hear from you. What do you think celebrity means in this age of viral stardom? And do you have a favorite young influencer? Particularly interested in people who thought maybe they hate influencers or hate the, the, the culture of it or TikTok or whatever it is. And then they found someone and they went, actually, this person's pretty good. You can give us a call. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about how Gen Z has redefined what it means to be a celebrity with reporters Moises Mendez II and Steffi Cow, Madison Samarjan, founder of Mata, an app for styling and buying clothing, and Gracie Hernandez, a mental health and wellness advocate and social media personality. 
Uh, let's go to the phones. Trisha in Alamo. Welcome. Hi. Uh, I was just going to make a comment. I'm a mom of four boys. They're ages 6, 8, 9, and 11. And they absolutely love Minecraft and YouTube. And they all want to be YouTubers. And their favorites are Technoblade. Unfortunately, that was a big life lesson for them. Um, Technoblade passed at a young age. And it was a big lesson. We all had a crying weekend. Um, Cookie God and Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast. And one thing about YouTube is that there's no filter like TV. And so they come and say, Mom, they don't swear. They don't swear. So it's like the big, <laughs> big tell-all <laughs> yeah. for, the, for the younger kids is, you know, because you don't know what you're going to get. But yeah. they know all about product placement. Uh, they've seen, you know, documentaries. They all want to be YouTubers. And um, anyways, they, they understand how money is made on YouTube. They're very, very in tune with that. Trisha, how, like that was- when you, because I've watched, I've seen some of these same, uh, some of these same YouTubers with my kids and <laughs> Minecraft YouTubers. Um, what has your impression been of just the things as media? Like as someone who's seen TV and movies and many other things and didn't grow up with YouTube, I'm assuming, um, what has your been just like watching it? Like, what have you thought of a bit like the texture of the media? Uh, you know, personally, the voices can get very monotone. I don't know how they can watch some of this <laughs> stuff for so long. <laughs> yeah, but they're they learn a lot about their Minecraft crafting, and they and it's some. I think they become very familiar with the characters, just like when Technoblade passed. Um, he had cancer. You know, they they all. It was it was a big deal. Like they knew him. They knew them personally. Mm. So they get to know the characters just like when you watch a, a you know a TV series. Uh, you get to know the characters and maybe the series goes down, but you still watch it because you're into the characters and you're familiar with the characters. But this is a little bit more real because they're real people. And, yeah. you know, personally, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, Trisha, it's interesting, you know, as the and, – and maybe, uh, Steph, you'll come to you on this. You were talking about how this is um, – you know, this is how culture is made now. I was thinking that, you know, sitcoms have essentially crashed. I mean, the way that lots of people, uh, you know, grew up in 1970s, and 1980s with these people that they thought they knew who were these characters on, you know, Cheers and uh, Friends and Three's Company and all the, all the major sitcoms. When I really think about what these influencers, like what they're replacing in people's lives, it kind of feels like that. Um, do you think, Steffi, that like in, in a, they're, that influencer culture may actually be not replacing uh, the kinds of culture we think that it is, but but something like a sitcom or, or something else? Yeah, I think it's interesting because we do see uh, in, in, in entertainment and culture reporting, we do see uh, less people consuming linear media. It's true. I think that uh, from what I've seen, at least, the idea of a creator as entertainment is certainly one of, um, it, it can be that that comedic, that sitcom, like friend group uh, type of, I want to say beat, but like, I think that's, I mean, I think that's slang, <laughs> that type of thing. Um, I think, especially when you think of content houses, the beloved content houses, the hype house, sway house, um, the scandals these are, that are These are places that. where a lot of creators live together, usually in Los Angeles, but, but in other places now too, yeah. Yes, yeah, the premise is they film content together in that they can help grow each other's influence, um, but also they film all these fun videos together. There's um, so many different content houses all over the country and um, 
all over the world. And when you think about like the way that those are set up, it's really to create the sort of um, mm-hmm. this this sort of sitcom feel. And even when I was interviewing a content house back in May, they even explicitly mentioned Friends as one mm-hmm. of their inspirations for joining. Um, and so I think as entertainment, it's cer- it certainly can can be that. Yeah. You know, Moises, one of our uh, listeners, uh, Luis, writes in to say, could you ask your guest to address what appears to be an extreme bias towards only women being influencers? Are there no male influencers? And if there are, how does their content and approach differ? I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, it's more of what's getting served to you and how the algorithm, you know, learns what you watch, what you stay watching, what you repeat watching. So if you're watching those things you're going to be served these women influencers. But I think when it comes to the approaches of different influencers, it's all about the content that you're looking for because it's not like women make a certain type of content and men make another. But I think that for me, women are more enjoyable to watch. So I'm gonna just, you know, end up following them. But yeah, I think it also comes down to like the authenticity as well. like who do you really enjoy watching because you can relate to them? So, hmm. Yeah, you know, Madison, in your capacity, you know, looking at this as a business opportunity, I mean, do you see major gender bias in who, get, you know, gets traction as an influencer? Yeah, so when we launched our menswear app about like six months ago, we kind of ran into this a little bit because I feel like I don't want to make a generalization here, but the male influencer is a little bit different than like our target customer that we are kind of targeting with our women's wear app. And so the first um, like male influencer that we partnered with was Jason Tardick and he was on The Bachelorette. Um, And he has a really big following in finance um, and he has a podcast and like entrepreneurship and all of that. And, you know, what we see with shopping behaviors is like, you know, you didn't, they don't have to be a fashion influencer for guys to get shopping, you know, inspiration from them. And then we also looked at like athletes and all of that and like video game influencers. That's super popular. My boyfriend has a video game startup and like, there's so many people that just watch these like video game influencers. That's not the right term. I don't know what the right term is for them streamers. They just watch them play video games all day. And Mm -hmm. it's like the wildest thing for me. Um, So I think it kind of depends on like the consumer industry also. I mean, I'm in fashion so I can really only speak to that. Um, But we've had success with both like male and female influencers. Hmm. Interesting. You know, Steffi, um, I want to talk a little bit about the future of these things. You know, I mean, I'm young enough to have had social media for my entire adult life and old enough to have seen a bunch of generations of platforms and different kinds of people uh, fall off. How do you project out a little bit? TikTok will end up working in some time. Like, do you expect the 20 something TikToker of today to still be making TikToks in 2032 as a 30 something? I don't think we have seen influencers have the same longevity as the like celebrities of the older like media formats, right? Like, we don't see a type of Brad Pitt in the influencer economy Um, because the formats are ever changing and this economy is still developing. I think that what we see now in these new apps that are coming up, particularly Be Real, that has such 
viral, like spark such viral discourse um, where it's really just your friends. It's only one notification a day. You take the photo, then that's it. And uh, Twitter rolling out Twitter circles where you can just post to your close friends. I think all those things indicate the sort of desire for more intimate connection, as well as Instagram shift to become more like TikTok and burying content from your friends in favor of short form video. I think you can really start to see this beginning of a divide in how we consume media and how we interact with our individual friends. So it's hard to say because it'll really depend on what these tech giants decide to do, but I'm sure people and content creation will adapt to whatever the tools are. Yeah. Gracie, do you see it that way? Do you see yourself as someone who is a TikToker in that sense, like that this is really where like, where you've developed this core competency? Or do you think it, you would be just as happy to do it on some other platform? Well, I think based on the nature of TikTok and like everyone's saying um, around just there's different topics that come up every week and there's it's more of like a conversation. Um, and I think the future of like stitching other people, other creators' videos it definitely adds to the, um, mm-hmm. the process of continuing conversation. I've met like lifelong friends on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a lot better for me to share um, nuanced thoughts on TikTok because uh, people who are looking for certain things or maybe they're reading specific books, um, they understand the terms I'm using and they're able to connect on that. Whereas um, if it was like on Instagram, I think Reels also, it plays a part in that, but it's, there's definitely a lot more features. Um, Mm, That's interesting. You know, one listener wants to know, you know, they're curious to hear from you about the responsibility you feel, and maybe just more generally as social celebs with sway around topics like health, medicine, the law, education, et cetera. Like, what responsibility responsibility do you feel to make sure you get say your facts right or um i guess even in you know your the mental health world that you're kind of talking that you sort of use the words that psychologists think are the best way of describing some things or that that keep people from you know self-harm and things like that of course i think all of that is really important and um I've been doing peer-to-peer counseling for over six years, which means that I'm familiar with the terms that psychologists may use, but nonetheless, I always tell people I'm not, like, this is not meant to be a diagnosis, and I'm just speaking from my experience, and speaking from that place makes it uh, less possible for them to diagnose based on the description I'm sharing. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is in, in previous generations, you know, there would have been a lot of debate around authenticity, like like what that actually is. And I'm curious, you know, Moises, if you how how you take authenticity, you know, like what is what that means to you and if it's something you actually care about. I mean it all depends on the content I'm trying to consume. Like if I'm trying to just go for some, what I call smooth brain content, that's just, you don't even have to think about it. It's like, I just need to take my mind off of everything for a second. Like I think of car cleaning videos and uh, carpet cleaning videos as well. Like those are just my smooth brain content. That feels okay. very authentic to me. The car's yeah. not clean well, and then it is, you know, what can you say? Um, some people are like, oh, well they made it dirty so they can clean it. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> Just clean it. Um, but when it comes to, you know, creators like the YouTubers that I used to follow, 
you would see them start to gain more notoriety within mainstream media that it starts to feel inauthentic because they started doing SpawnCon, like sponsored content mm -hmm. for different entities. And, you know, they became these personalities like on red carpets and here and there. And it started to feel less, you know, attainable and less like them just sitting in a, a living room with their friends, you know, mm -hmm. doing some sort of challenge. Um, so, you know, over the years and, you know, watching TikTok and seeing these creators, it starts, some of them start out feeling unattainable, like Charlie D'Amelio and, you know, Addison Ray and all of these like people who are synonymous with the app. Um, but there are influencers that I, you know, follow that I'm just like, they're also in their house mm -hmm. making some little videos about some crazy story that they were talking about. doesn't matter, but uh, I look to those people for that sort of like authenticity and like the, you know, I can do that too if I really wanted to, but I really don't. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You know, Mad Madison, um, you know, at the top of the show, we heard Emma Chamberlain kind of pausing. Well, you know, maybe Internet celebrity will go away. I'm curious, like, how would a business like yours work if you couldn't partner with influencers, as the saying goes? Well, we actually have a lot of success with just our, our organic posts. So no sort of paid collaboration or sponsorship with anyone. So a lot of the time, it's just me or my company talking about like the problem we had and why I started Mata. Like I hated not knowing like what to wear. And so I started this app. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really great place to connect one-on-one -on -one with our consumers too. And so I think that while influencers really help grow and spread the word that like on social media, we can really grow on our own and almost like as a business become an influencer in and of itself. So I think that like as the landscape changes, so will our approach to it. But mm. I think that or an organic page is still really important for any startup's growth. Yeah, yeah. You know, Steffi, Cal, is there anything about the influencer economy and the way that it works that really gives you pause? Sorry, um, I think it's, I think it's, it's tough to think about what gives me pause because with all this good, the entire industry also has often been criticized. And I think very rightly so about the downsides of it, the effects on mental health, on body dysmorphia, on all these things in terms of uh, burying small creators and racism on the app. I think all these things are very valid. Um, they're, they're themes that have existed prior to the existence of social media content creation, but I think the the conversations happening around it are very valid as we, as it continues to become more and more of a dominant force in our life but i think it's great that you know like madison is able to like you know create this like amazing app and so i i, I think the question is more of like what gives me less of what gives me pause but what are the themes that exist in our society that come to light on the on this particular economy mm -hmm. and like how does that shift how we interact with one another? How does that impact small businesses? How does that impact creatives? How does that impact young people um, for good and for bad? Um, so you, you yeah, see it as more reflecting the negative aspects of our society rather than having a, a causal or you know catalytic role in changing some of those things. I think it's definitely impacted and created new problems, but the themes from my reporting, what I've seen have been the same because 
body image issues and uh, fat phobia have long existed in our society. You know, we've seen it from fashion magazines and runway catalogs and all those like areas of uh, what was the spokesperson for the ideal aspirational culture. But now that's been like usurped by social media and has in a lot of ways made it far, far worse. We know that Instagram and um, social media influencers have, and TikTok algorithm favoring, you know, being under fire for favoring skinny bodies, that 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 exists. And it's, I think, made the pressure of it worse because we've seen, you know, body dysmorphia go up because I think the what we're looking at is this fight for our attention and our attention has been diverted in a million different ways now um and so i think it, it's both a causal it's a cause and a reflection yeah yeah i think the way i've thought about it is that these different platforms are reflections of our world but the model that they are is like distorted in very particular ways based on you know what that platform wants you know the seed community all the different things that go into uh, a platform and i think it certainly seems to me like some of the platforms at certain times become more or less distorted reflections of our society. And some sometimes those are scary uh, distortions. Um, listener Matthew writes in to say, I am a boomer in his 60s and was tipped off, tipped off by a millennial friend about ContraPoints produced by Natalie Wynn on YouTube. As a former social scientist, I was blown away by the mashup of high and low, serious and sardonic. Picture Michel Foucault in drag. The long-form videos that this highly educated trans woman produces on topics like beauty are provocative, fun, and great fodder for salon-type discussions. So there you go. Shout out for Natalie Wynn, uh, the YouTuber. We have been talking about how Gen Z has defined what it means to be a celebrity with Moises Mendes, culture reporter at Time Magazine. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Steffi Cow, <laughs> social news reporter at BuzzFeed. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Madison Samarjan, founder of Mata, an app for styling and buying clothing. Thank you. It was great to chat. And we've also been joined by Grace Hernandez, a mental health and wellness advocate and social media personality. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. This has been a fun show. Uh, The 9 o'clock hour forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, Jennifer Ng, and Cesar Saldana. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell is the lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, Brendan Willard, Chris Hoff. Our interns are Paul C. Kelly Campos and Lulu Ralda. Susan Davis, our senior producer. Our executive editor is Ethan Toven Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.